Well, welcome back. This is Ken Quick. Uh, I've been asked to talk about something that uh, I actually have uh, uh, connection with as a result of a consulting And these guys are laughing at me for this, but uh, you're doing great. This is fantastic. <laughs> they stuck me with introducing this, and so uh, I'll do my best. Um, What's the topic for today? The topic is corporate sin. Ta-da! Individual sin. Yay. Yes. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the challenge we deal with as a culture, let's just start here with kind of history. The challenge we deal with uh, as a culture is we are, a, as a Western culture, we are individually based. And that goes all the way back to the Greeks. Um, uh, Eastern cultures, uh, Oriental cultures, probably more conscious and aware of family connection and extended family connection and the importance of kind of belonging to that group. I remember being in, uh, as a missionary, or uh, I was taking a trip to, to India for a missions uh, uh, purpose. And I got invited to a wedding. Uh, which was really strange. It was one of the relatives of the, the individuals who had invited us to India. And so I went to, this was kind of the rehearsal dinner. And because I was an honored guest, I sat next to the groom. I mean, so, but what was extraordinary was that here at this kind of uh, uh, engagement party, there were over 2,500 people. That's how you do it. And, uh, and so when I asked, you know, are these friends? He said, oh, no, these are just the family. Yep. That's how you do it. These are just the family. And I thought, what? what? 2,500 people? I maybe know, you know, 15 people in my extended family. Uh, maybe a few more, but, but 2,500. But that's the way they think of things. They are connected to a broad network of, of people and feel that. And so that it makes perfect sense to have all of them at your wedding uh, engagement party. Um, so so Eastern people think, think differently a little bit about this than us from the West do, because we have been enculturated by uh, centuries of individualistic thinking. Uh, and so when it comes to our Christian uh, context, uh, we bring that right into it and just assume that's the way it is. And that is a mistake. Uh, the Bible is an Eastern document, not a Western document. And its conception of uh, family uh, and becoming a part, born again, into a family, Christian family, um, is much more connectedness to others rather than individual. Now, there are individual pieces to this, and uh, I'm going to let my brothers kind of pick out the stuff that <laughs> want to talk about. I'll stop here in a moment. You did but, great. But uh, the impact in our personal relationship is we, we know how to think about Jesus and me. Yes, yes. We really struggle at the level of thinking of Jesus and us. Yeah. Mm. 
And that's what you have to do at a church. I think about Jesus and us, because it's clear that he is not just relating to me, especially in the church community. He is relating to us. And the us part of that is really seen in the Bible, uh, two levels. Uh, number one, the epistles, where we have the apostle writing to uh, churches as what's going on in the church and the impact at a corporate level. But also, particularly, uh, where we see Jesus relating to uh, a church in Revelation 2 and 3. And uh, his language in that uh, is extraordinary, and we'll talk about that as we get going. So I'm going to shut up now. No, you did great. I, yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. We, so, so that you guys know, uh, Dave said, so who should kick this off? And I said, I'd love for Ken to kick this off. And five seconds later, we were rolling. Yes. So welcome. Welcome to Anchor to Devoted. We're glad to have some fun uh, with our That's brother. Right. Um, I, I would agree with you, Ken, that the culture that you come out plays a huge role in how you engage with the gospel. Um, the community versus individual aspect of the gospel is one that I think um, the Western church has missed out on. Uh, the communal side has, at least in my perspective, has become one that is very transactional when it comes to, I come to church, I give my money, I get fed spiritually, I'm good to go. Like that's the the relationship we have. Um, that's a very much based off of an urban perspective. I'm not saying that for all churches, but a lot of the 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 larger churches that are sucking up smaller churches, that is the engagement. And whether it's for my kids, they're entertained, or whether it's for me, I'm able to connect with some people that are like-minded and we cheer together and maybe memorize something together and we move forward. But it still is very much a me-centered um, engagement. It's what am I comfortable with? What do I like? And if I don't like it, then I move on as opposed to uh, a community-based engagement where this is the church and we have to figure this out because we are family. Like we have to do this. Um, this is a community church where I might um, um, need to explore how to use my um, giftedness differently because God has brought so many either similar or distinct and unique individuals together. And we have to figure out how to balance that out as opposed to saying, oh, there's another church like where we live in Maryland. There's just churches everywhere. Um, and, and I know that they are, are we engaged with them based off of how we want to be, um, I'm going to put up air quotes, cared for. Um, I, I, I think that's an abuse of the word because most times it really is. Um, I just like what I like and I want to find what I like with people that I like. And we'll call that church because we're all singing about God. Um, there isn't a discomfort that comes with a community mindset. Um, my dad's from the West Indies. He's one of nine. My mom is from the Carolinas. She's one of 13. So I come from tribe mentality where, you know, like, I'm, like so I, I just had to put that out there. Like I come, yes, my sister and I are one of two, but it, we still run as a tribe. How many uncles um, do you have, Dave? A lot. Like, like 60? 
Well, uh, we did a family reunion a number of years ago, and this was, wow, at least 20 some years ago. Back then, there were hundreds of us. Um, we took over a state park in the Carolinas. So, That's right. like, it's, you know, everyone's wearing t shirts trying to introduce themselves to one another because you haven't seen each other. Um, especially when you bump up to my grandparents' level, where they were one of 16 and one of 14, and you just go, okay, this is, a, you know, we're, we're, we're big. We, this is a party. Exactly. We're, we're going to kill a cow today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a party. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you know who you are and know, you know who you belong to, it, it impacts, again, your relationship with God, because wherever you go, your identity is not centered in self. It's centered with this community behind you. And when we talk about communal sin, if we don't have that kind of an understanding that there's an expectation of others, as well as um, I have expectations of others because of community. Um, when I was uh, at a former church, I remember an individual who had committed a public sin. Um, uh, you know, it was lied about. Um, and because it was lied about and it was public, um, the asking for forgiveness was a communal asking for forgiveness, um, because this was one of those things where um, it was clear that the individuals involved had intentionally strived to deceive everyone. And this wasn't done out of, um, there was no good reason. Let's just be honest. There was no good reason. Um, and we can say it was fear, there was shame. There were a number of reasons why they didn't want to. Again, in community, larger community, that's often shame. You, you are concerned about that. The forgiveness, once it was embraced, was one where we were able to move on. Like it was not part of the conversation. We were able to connect because in this larger community, you understand this is how we live life. Whereas in an individualistic space and place, this becomes my identity, whatever this downfall is. And now I'm labeled as that. That is, I'm now in the box of other, and I either need to leave or I need to step down or I need to do something as opposed to working through it. And in the, the space where these individuals were forgiven, the process was now, okay, how do we work this out? Because they're family, right? Like we, we, we can't kick them to the curb because they messed up. We have to journey with them, right? There's, there's ramifications from the sins that, that had occurred. I mean, including a kid, there, there were a number of things, but your identity is in Christ. Your identity is with us. We're going to, to do this together. And so I know personally, um, but I come out of a, a unique culture. Um, corporate sin is viewed as family. Like, Dave, like Dave I don't want to be nitpicky, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to be nitpicky, but I want to push back on, on just some definitional things. That, oh, yeah. that we as we're talking, about. well, as we're talking, it's helping me to think through this. You've, you, we've used the word, the word community and communal a lot here, mm-hmm. but I think that it would be, at least in my mind, as we're saying this, it's helpful to distinguish between familial, family-based mm-hmm. over against, and not opposed to, but distinct from community or communal. Gotcha. Because what, as we started this, Ken, what you were saying is 
Eastern culture is very much family centric. Mm-hmm. And it was, it really wasn't until the, the Greek empires that the polis, the city became the center of life. And in the, in, in the city, I can exist as a citizen, as an individual in a family. I cannot in a family. I am always a brother, a son, a father, a husband, all at the same time. I can never simply be Jeremy in a family. It simply no. doesn't work. I, well, I'll let, I mean, I'll let you speak quick if you want. I think you can be an individual in a family. I just think that there is the space, the prioritization of family, that it isn't a you aren't an individual. It's that you recognize you're part of something bigger than yourself. And so when I talk yeah, about that's church, fair. That's fair. When, I, when I talk about church, um, we consider each other family. We say aunt and uncle, like mm-hmm. we hang out. Like, honestly, I'll dump my child at your house um, as part of church family. And that, again, isn't a Western mindset. Um, that's, that is, again, like I said, a unique community that I come out of where after a certain number of seasons, we've done VBS together, we've eaten together, we've broken bread. I've gotten to know you. You are not viewed as safe. You are viewed as of the same faith. You are um, you are you are your family, your family in Christ. Right. So I can trust you with the knowledge that this is my child. You're going to love my child as if he is yours. And so, you know, my my godmother, I call her aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to the same church as me. My sister and I, we spent more nights and weekends over at her house than probably our own. Um, it was just one of those things we did. And on the flip side, their kids were always over at our house. Now, there's no blood relationship, but they're family. Right. Like, they are. And so this mindset that is very much Eastern when it comes to um, the, the expectation now as they become more mature to care for them and to, to serve them and to love them and to honor them. We've done that the whole time, but now it's even more so as the culture is very much, okay, you know what, we, we shelve our people or those people that are more seasoned. Um, once they've re- reached a certain age, if they haven't put in a book, I really don't want to hear from them. That is not how it's viewed in my culture. In my culture, I want to hear the stories over and over again. I'm the big kid. I want to, you know, play with them and understand them and share them. And it's it's clear when sin is in the midst. We got a family problem. We got a family problem. <laughs> right. Well, see, that that's kind of what I'm keying in on here is, and I, I agree, the distinction here is not necessarily that there's not an individual in the family, because there certainly is, but it's not the it's not the basic fundamental um unit within the family. The individual is, is can only exist if there's another individual in which he's in relationship with in a family, there has to be a dyad in other words in the city, the citizen by himself can exist by himself with other citizens without any relationship. So long as there's authority and and in the city, therefore my sin can only affect me theoretically in the family, my sin, my individual sin can only ever at the very minimum 
affect everyone with whom I have direct relationship. And from there, there may oftentimes be a cascading effect where it's going to not just affect those I have relationship with, but those that those who I have relationship with also have relationship. And it ripples out that way such that because the myself as the individual is not the primary fundamental unit, but the relationship between me and someone else is, there's, there's really, there's very little room here for, hey, it's just my individual sin. What does it matter what I do in the privacy or secrecy of my life. John Bradshaw, I don't know whether you guys remember him or not, back in the 90s, um, had yep. a significant uh, television presence as a an addict or alcoholic kind of counselor. And um, I remember PBS used to put his shows on. He had a way of uh expressing what you just described uh jeremy that uh he had a a mobile if you remember <laughs> they're kind of passing now too but mobiles were things that had strings or hung by a string and then they had kind of uh little strips of wood across and then things more hung by a string and and so it was this thing that ultimately had eight ten fifteen things attached to it by strings and uh, with wood little bars across that uh, these things were attached to and they had multiple levels of them and everything. And what he would do is he, he, as he talked on the stage, he had one of these things hanging beside him. And he would say, you know, we, we think of ourselves that our, our addiction doesn't affect anybody else. It's just about me. You know, my, yeah, I, I drink, I get drunk, you know, but that's not hurting anybody else but me. He says, but the reality is we're much more like this mobile. And he'd go over and he would just take his finger and flick and hit one of the, the pieces on the mobile. And every one of the pieces would start to rock, you know, as uh, the vibration of the impact on this one uh, would uh, cause all of them to uh, reverberate. And I think biblically, that's a much closer picture to the reality that nothing just happens to me. So I think that's really kind of what you were expressing. It, it is because Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot, right? But when Jesus talks about why he came and as he introduces people to God, he always does it as introducing them to a father, not to a king. He says, I've come that you may know the father. I've come that you may see the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He talks about the kingdom of God all the time, but it's oftentimes in parallel to help us or in parable to help us understand what's really going on here is a father to child relationship. That's why I came. That's why I'm here is to, so that you can walk again back into this family as the prodigal son, because your father who loves you is still out looking for you, waiting for you to simply turn around. And I would just build on that uh, to, to, to realize how deep this goes into our theology so that uh, I actually have a little exercise when I'm out consulting in a church, you know, and they're struggling with the fact that the reality is, is that we will all uh, walk through the church's history and we will find kind of what I call hinge moments where somebody, usually in leadership, it doesn't have to be, but probably 90% of the time it is, 
uh, does something, uh, could be an immoral act, could be a, a split, could be um, an abuse situation, but somebody uh, does something and the impact will continue to reverberate in the church and it doesn't matter when it happened. Uh, it could have been 50 years ago and we've had churches, at a church that started in 1806 and its first split was in 1816 and its next split was 1832, and its next split was 1848. And every 16 years, they split. And, you know, you have people passing from the scene, but it didn't change the fact that this church had a pattern of splitting. That's incredible. And, uh, and, and people have trouble getting their heads around how that could be, uh, how that could be. But the reality is, is that our theology is built on this. So we are born sinners. And I'll often ask the church, is there anybody here who was not born a sinner? Raise your hand. And no hands go up. And I said, well, then you're telling me that when you come out of the womb, that you are sinful. Now, why would that be before you've done anything good or bad? What on earth is going on here? What You've got to explain how, how it is that you're sinful before you even have a chance to do anything, before you understand anything. And usually somebody will have read enough theology to know, well, <laughs> it's because of Adam. So you're telling me, I'll often kind of play the devil's advocate here, although he doesn't need one, um, that uh, you're telling me that our ancestor, however many generations back when he goes, when he did what he did, that that is impacting my entrance into the world and the sin that I carry uh, is due to an act that took place however many generations ago. You're telling me that. That's Christian theology. And it is very much a part of kind of this discussion about corporate sin versus individual sin. Because at the corporate level, uh, the reality is, is that a church will carry the behaviors, the misbehaviors of its body. And you've been talking about family. I would rather switch the image body because that's, I think, a, probably a more visually, I, that, that takes all kind of uh, uh, authority structures out of this. Now everybody's a part of this thing. And we don't have aunts and uncles and brothers, sisters and fathers and mothers and all that kind of stuff with, with the role. We now have everybody functioning and crucially functioning for this entity that Christ has created to work the way he intended it to work. And uh, if somebody misbehaves or sins or uh, does something that defiles himself or herself, what we fail to realize is that defilement is carried now by the body as well. And so now it is not just about me, it's about us. Get biblical pictures of this uh, going back to the Old Testament with Achan uh, and his seizing of the stuff with Joshua and how Israel was defeated because of this. See it again with the kings in Israel, how the, the nation was uh, um, disciplined uh, sometimes harshly by God because of the transgression of a king. 
And succeeding generations, if they don't make it right, would continue the process of, of, uh, of divine discipline. Uh, and Paul repeats all of that in 1 Corinthians 10, gives kind of illustration after illustration of Israel in the wilderness and says, don't be like them because that if it happened to them, it's going to happen to you upon whom the end of the ages has come. So he's talking about corporate discipline, not individual discipline. And that's just a difficult concept for those of us who are individually minded. So how can we, how can we start to move the needle on this? And obviously it's going to start within ourselves, but how do we, if I grew up in, in a Western culture where individualism um, is idealized and idolized, how do I begin to move the needle within myself to think more rightly, more biblically about who I am and how my life is connected to those around me uh, with the goal of serving the people around me and walking faithfully before God and with my, my family within this body. Uh, I think probably the best, the easiest way to get head and heart around this is um, Paul's description to the Corinthians Greeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, where he goes into the nature of Christians as a body. Ear cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Um, nor is everybody an ear. And uh, nor is everybody an eye. If, if everybody were an eye, where would the speaking be? You know, and so he, he goes into a lot of kind of different ways to think about uh, who we are as a body. My favorite is probably in, in Ephesians chapter four, uh, where he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, uh, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by what every joint with which it is equipped. Uh, so every joint is participating, is, is giving out what it's equipped to do. Uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's like every believer in a church has been given something that the body needs for it, the body to be healthy and function the way Christ intended it to function. And if I just sit there on Sunday morning and I don't do anything, I just listen to the sermon and sing, sing some songs, that would not be the proper working of each individual part. Um, that would be a part of kind of maybe equipping me to, to, to better live for Jesus. But uh, when I sit there on a Sunday morning, it's popular in a mega church. To kind of feel connected to the body, but I really work at that. When I'm sitting there uh, in worship, I'm thinking, Lord, let, let me, you know, I bring my spiritual gifts and you indwell me. Let me uh, function today in a way that would help this body to get healthier, to get stronger. And I don't know what that would be, but I just want to be here as a part of this body and do what you have given me to do uh, to help it be stronger. I know I'll be stronger if that's the case. Um, 
So can I, know, I, I want to press you on that a little bit. Sorry? I want to press you on that a little bit. Um, right. You talked about being in a church service and um, not being fully engaged. I, I think that we're going to step on some toes with this possibly, but I, I, it needs to be asked. Right now, we have people coming out of COVID who have stopped attending church altogether. People who even pre-COVID considered themselves active members if they were in the church service once a month. What you're saying, uh, another way of saying what, what Paul is saying here is you cannot reject Christ's body and still have Christ. To partake with Christ means you are engaged with and partaking with the body as a member of the body and as a member with the body. Is there a place? How do we answer gently, kindly, but truthfully our brothers and sisters who have decided that, hey, I don't need to be a part of a church. I can walk in my life here with Jesus. I've got my quiet time. I've got my Christian friends. I'm edifying the body by encouraging my friends when we get together for whatever it might be. How do we, how would you answer them so as to entice them to what they are missing in that perspective? Well, I think, again, some of that is just the weak um, conceptions we have of what Christ created the church today. Uh, and with those weak conceptions being connected or not, you know, is, yeah, because because things happen in church. I mean, sometimes we're neglected. Sometimes we're um, uh, feel outside the, the inner circle of, you know, who are making decisions. We, we feel, uh, you know, and we process that at an individualistic level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to go into church and you know uh, you know like i even describe my own attitude but you know a lot of times on a sunday my gifts aren't used uh they you know uh, the way i would probably see my contribution would be at the prayer level i'm praying for these folk i'm praying that the word of god will go through go go forth powerfully but I think church was intended to be so much more than that. Um, and uh, again, we're hands and feet and eyes and ears and, you know, uh, parts. And uh, it's intended to be a powerful entity when the proper working of each individual part is taking place. It's just that that's not often what we're experiencing. And I think it's also hard to think of it only in terms of Sunday in an hour-long service. Uh, The church exists the other six days of the week, 24 hours a day. So so I think there's more to, uh, we narrow our focus too much if we think only of Sunday morning. Um, I I think that the body is is in existence the rest of the time too. And uh, so we have to kind of enlarge our concept of of kind of how the body is working in my role, maybe in the body. So I mean, I have a role on Sunday. I may just mm-hmm. be sitting there. I'm still wanting to feel connected to to the church as a body. Uh, I, I think that's important to feel that I belong to this group, however large it is. But 
my roles and my gifts may not be used on Sunday morning. Uh, they may come in right. play on Thursday or, you know, um, I'm less of an angry person than I used to be by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't wish to approach fellow Christians who are in this place, whether young believers or older believers. And, and I think more specifically, older, more seasoned believers who have bought into a false notion of the body of Christ, it is much harder because my expectation is you should know better. I mean, really, you should know better. You've you've been in ministry in the church. You know this is how God set this up. How are you going to walk away and pretend like you don't know what you so clearly know? But but the, again, my my goal and my desire would be to be able to reason with them and to use biblical theology and the beauty of what God's created to a to allow the Holy Spirit to work in them, to attract them through the love of God. And we, we started in the conversation weeks ago talking about spiritual gifts. And as you're talking, what I'm hearing is a conversation that goes something along the lines of, do you know what your gift is? What God has made you to do in the body? If not, let's talk about that. But if you do, and you're now Sunday morning's you know, uh, reading the newspaper over a cup of coffee instead of fellowshipping with God's people. I guess my follow-up question would be, how are you using that gift? Like what, what are, what are doors that God's opened for you to be using that gift? Can, can we talk about that? Cause I'd love to hear what he's doing through the gift he's given to you to edify the body. That That's more of a, I, I think that would be a more, uh, invitational approach to correct some bad theology than to come and simply rebuke and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about and scripture is clear and you're rejecting scripture. And I know it's in your heart and, you know, a whole, whole bad road that it's very easy to go down in zeal when I think I've got to protect God. Was that a question for quick or? I guess just a thought. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't hear a question there, but yeah, uh, no, that no, wasn't really a question. I'm just thinking out loud here because I, I know I know a number of people that are in this position, and I, I really do sincerely I want to I want to speak gently and truthfully to them. I mean I think the concern is real. I think the question is, are they by not using their gifts to to serve others are they you know acting out of a nature that isn't what they're called to do um, they do have a purpose that is greater than their individual um, delight in god it is um centered in um following christ and being faithful to him um this, I think, gets back to culture and um, the baggage we bring into our relationships with God, um, how we engage with him, or at least our expectations of him and of others in relationship with God. Um, I think there is an opportunity to, you know, in looking at the problem or the issue, first is to recognize God's got it. So I don't need to, Amen. I don't need to fight with people. <laughs> Like he's he's going to soften hearts. He's going to help people see they need to get involved uh, through the maturing process. And so there's a a grace that we can often 
grant and knowing that that's um, part of the process, but then there's also the challenging um, and uh, the pruning where um, what does define um, being a follower of Christ? Are you actually following? Um, and so, as you stated, there's a conversation, but then there's a, a corporate expectation. Like this is what we do as a body, as a part of the body. Um, we do use our gifts to to serve one another, uh, to serve the community, so they might know the truth of who Christ is. And if that isn't being done, um, there are, as you stated, conversations that need to take place on on whether Christ is truly the one sitting on the throne. Um, or is it one of those things where you're looking for a savior, but not a king? And that, that's a question that I've got to ask myself as the person entering to have this conversation too. Because in most cases, I've seen the person who has walked away from the church, but not walked away from Christ. Really what's going on there is not something between them and the church. It's something where there's been in their experience, a breach of trust between God and them. Or they believe God has somehow failed, you know, let them down or failed them. But it's easier to point at some experience over here and say, well, it was X or it was Y. I'm just not satisfied with his people or with, and not wrestle with the fact that, well, God allowed this to happen. God is working through this for my good. And I don't like the way he's doing it. I don't like his, his methodology. It's painful. I wish he wouldn't do this. I didn't give him permission for this. And he needs to stop. But I know I can't say that to him because he's God. And that that's a place where, you know, God knows how to reach people there. For me as a person seeking to walk with my brother or sister faithfully, that's a place where I can go before the throne of God and plead on their behalf and say, Lord, you continue the work that you're doing to speak to their heart and to draw them to you, to heal whatever wound it is that they have and to demonstrate your trust to them in such a way that they can take you at your word. See, my work uh, with churches and consulting is uh, with churches that have been dysfunctional, uh, have ended up driving a lot of people away, wounding people. almost always have a period of time where we're talking about people who have left the church wounded. Um, and that's one of the things they ultimately have to see that they are responsible for as a church. Um, but uh, the uh, the impact of that is, again, this may have happened before a lot of the people who are there even got there and got to got to the church. And so they're looking at what previous generations of individuals that have been in the church have done. And Christ, again, is dealing with the church at a corporate level. Uh, again, Revelation 2 and 3 describe how he does this. Uh, and he summarizes it at the end of Revelation 3, where he tells the Laodiceans, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous, therefore, and repent. But that to a church. Um, so, so this is a manifestation of Christ's love to his people that he disciplines them the way he does and he reproves them um so it's a it's it's challenging when people desert the church leave the church um 
because it now separates them. And even if we can understand why they might have given the things that were done or the way they, they were wounded, uh, but it it now cuts them off from the the chance for that repentance to uh, to transact and you know bring them back. Because again, we've been made to function as a part of a body, and right. we cut ourselves off from that. First Corinthians three is really interesting in this regard. Paul says, "I've laid a foundation, which another man is building upon." You know, he talked that Corinthians were in love with all their kind of leaders and kind of dividing over them. Says another man builds upon it. Let every man be careful how he builds. Now you have to listen to him carefully because I think there's a lot of confusion when Paul says what he says here. He says, you know, there are two sets of building materials. There's gold, silver, and precious stones, and there's wood, hay, and stubble. And he says, let every man be careful how he builds. If anyone builds with the good stuff, the gold, silver, precious stones, I got to remember where they're building. Because I think when we read this, we often think it's on our own lives, that our good works the things that we are doing, our gold, silver, and precious stones in our own lives that we are doing that, that are somehow building us up. But it's very clear from the imagery that Paul uses. It's, I'm building gold, silver, and precious stones into your life. You've got the foundation of Christ that, that I am building for. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm a construction worker, and my use of gifts and encouragement and teaching and, and service and mercy and all these things are building gold, silver, and precious stones into your life or into others' lives. And Christ says that he is the, the great building contractor, is going to judge us mm -hmm. and pay us for our work that uh, we have done on his behalf. I separate myself from the church. And now what it's not just that I'm losing somebody building into my life. It's also I don't get a chance to build into anybody else's. Right. And so to to decide that that's a better course of action because again I may have been wounded, I may have been neglected that we got to rethink kind of how Christ made it to work. And uh, the choices that I may be, again, transacting here and the basis for them are based on much more of an individualistic mindset than an understanding of what Christ created when he created the church and my role in that, how I have to see my role in that. So um, real important uh, to kind of understand, and especially as a new believer, um, beginning to understand who I am in relationship to a, a church, a body, um, and how I have to kind of walk to, to discover how Christ wants me to function within this body. There you go. Well, we've had fun making a mess of this. This has been the three amigos. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, thanks for tuning in. We hope you got an earful and more importantly, a heartful. Um, please live out the stuff we're talking about. Don't just cram it in your head. Like, please share it with others. Um, figure out ways to apply it to your lives. Um, please listen to it a couple of times because there's a lot in here. We know that it's heavy, um, but we thank you for taking the time. Um, 
Anything you want to say before we sign out, either one of you? Again, just thanks for the chance to talk about things that are pretty important. So I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You, Jeff? Nope. I'm good. I'm okay. grateful everyone came by. There it is. This is Anchored and Devoted. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye, man.